Aloha, happy Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us here on Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Yanji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei Suji. We, of course, try to bring you experts throughout the islands to talk about the issues facing our community right now. Of course, a big issue and top of mind is the vaccine rollout for COVID-19. Uh, just check the Department of Health's website, Ryan, and over 200,000 vaccinations have been administered throughout the state since they started doing that in December. Uh, that 200,000, of course, doesn't translate to people. That's a mix of people receiving their first and second doses. So today, we have a medical expert joining us to talk all about the rollout, the vaccine, and to answer your questions. Yeah, we've heard from many officials, state officials that we've spoken to on this program that have continually said that Hawaii can handle the influx of those who want to get the vaccine. The biggest problem is just the availability of that. Joining us this morning is Dr. Melinda Ashton from Hawaii Pacific Health. Good morning, doctor. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Let's start off with just getting an update on where we're at with the vaccine. We're hearing uh, from, you know, we heard from the governor earlier this week about how the state can uh, do twice as much vaccines uh, and getting shots in arms is what we're seeing right now. What are you seeing uh, with the vaccine plan that you folks have in place at Pier 2 and what's going on uh, on your end? Right. I think we are all seeing the same thing. The supply is sent to the state and so it's distributed around the state. So we certainly could do more than twice as many of the vaccinations that we're doing right now. Right. Currently today, we're doing probably just over 1500 shots. Um, those will almost all be second doses and uh, we'll be continuing that. We started our um, mass vaccination clinic at Pier 2 up, uh, 21 days ago on Monday this week. So um, three weeks of second doses, and then we're hoping that the vaccine supply will increase so that we can start giving some first doses as well. And if you could walk us through what that process is like once you've been able to successfully register in a secured appointment, when you show up to Pier 2, what is that experience like? Right. So um, actually, over and over again, what we hear from the people that come through is, wow, this was so efficient. It was so pleasant. Everybody was so friendly. So um, first of all, we'll give you information about uh, paperwork that you can fill in before you come in when you have an appointment and also uh, where to park. So if you're uh, mobile and can walk five minutes, um, you can park at Restaurant Row and we'll validate that parking. Um, we also have parking at Aloha Tower. But for people who have mobility issues, which of course a number of the folks in the 75 plus age range do, um, there's actually parking right there on site at Pier 2. So our parking attendants will um, help to make sure you park in the right place, get out of your car, you come into the entrance and go straightly, straight to the departure lounge at Pier 2. So anybody who's been there, that's where you would get on a cruise ship. And uh, you register there. Um, almost always we have no lines, we have 20 plus registration uh, kiosks. And so people generally walk straight up and register. So that would be a confirmation of your appointment, um, making sure that your ID is uh, who you say you are, and then checking on your insurance status. If you don't have insurance, not a problem, but if you do, uh, we um, get that information from you. Once you've registered, you go straight through into um, what is also usually a very short line or no line at all. And you go straight to um, one of four areas where we provide the actual vaccinations. We call them pods, but it gets a little confusing because every vaccination site is also called a pod. But we actually modeled our pods after how we had set it up at Kabilani Medical Center when we were first learning how to do our employees. And so we mimicked that, um, that kind of process. So we've got five vaccinators. 
Um, and so you would be called over, you would sit next to the nurse or, or a medical assistant or a pharmacist who's going to give you the shot. Um, they'll check your paperwork, talk to you about allergies, um, give you the shot. And then you get a, a sticker on your arm telling us what time you're done with your observation. Um, people will generally wait 15 minutes to be observed just in case there are any um, side effects or, or adverse reactions. Some people with a strong history of allergies would wait 30 minutes. And so that time is on your sleeve. And, uh, and then during that waiting time, we have um, nurses and others who are checking in with you to make sure that you're doing well. If this is your first dose appointment, you will also at that time confirm a second dose appointment so we know when you're gonna come back and get your second dose. As I said, right now, most of our folks are getting their second doses so they don't need to make any more appointments. They're done after that. And uh, they um, get a handout sheet with things to watch for. And then at the time that they're done, they um, exit. Um, currently, Metagold is providing POG juice to folks um, every day. So they get a, a, a carton of juice on their way out if they'd like it and uh, their parking validation if they didn't park at Pier 2 and they're done. We want to bring in a question from the audience. Heidi this morning is asking if you can speak about Moderna and Pfizer's effectiveness with the newer variants. We're hearing from the Department of Health of those new variants that are being found here in our islands. What are you learning from uh, what you're seeing with the effectiveness of the vaccines in combating some of these new variants? Right. Uh, it's a little bit of an unknown. The uh, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were actually tested and approved before these variants were recognized. Um, and so the Johnson & Johnson and the AstraZeneca vaccines were actually tested more directly in South Africa against the most worrisome variant. Um, and it shows a slight decrease in the effectiveness of the Johnson uh, sorry, the AstraZeneca vaccine. For Moderna and Pfizer, everything that I've seen so far says that they are likely still effective. Um, there are different variants. So the UK variant, probably still quite effective. The South Africa variant, still a bit of a question, but worth getting vaccinated because the, the science is not clear. Uh, we don't know until we've had vaccinated people in areas where they're exposed to large quantities of this virus circulating in the community. And once you do get that second shot, can you tell us a little bit about what your recommendations are in terms of adjusting behavior? Do you still have to wear a mask? Can you still catch COVID? What are you seeing in, in terms of that? Right, so um, the recommendation is not to change any of that behavior. So still wear a mask, yes, absolutely. Um, still try to keep that physical distance that we're all aware of. Um, try not to gather in groups. And the reason for that is it's still an unanswered question whether someone who's fully vaccinated and um, less likely to get severe disease, whether that person does still have a chance of having the virus in their nose um, and still able to spread it. That is an unanswered question that is being worked on right now. Their initial data, it looks promising that in fact, someone who's fully vaccinated um, and has an immune response uh, should not be able to carry the virus in their nose as effectively or for as long or maybe not shed it as well, but we just don't know that yet. So the mask is still necessary. Have we seen any cases of those who have gotten the vaccine but still have contracted and tested positive for COVID-19 despite getting the vaccination shot? Yes, it, it's known both um, on the mainland and I understand from Dr. Campbell here in Hawaii that there have been a few people who have tested positive for COVID, um, but they have been after their first dose of vaccine and usually within the week of the first dose. And so it's thought that they probably uh, 
contracted the virus right around the same time as the vaccine. Uh, we know it takes days uh, for your body to react to this vaccine. So that first week or 12 days, you re really don't have very much protection at all. So that wouldn't be surprising that the rate of contagion would still be about the same as non-vaccinated. And I know you mentioned that after you get that first or whatever shot you get, that you do have to wait for 15 to 30 minutes uh, just to test for an allergy response. What are you response? What are you hearing in terms of any kind of side effects or uh, ill effects? We do we have heard anecdotally that the second dose can yield a bigger immune response, and so people tend not to feel as well. But are you hearing of any severe side effects here in Hawaii? Um, I believe there have been a couple of people who have had some relatively um, serious reactions to the vaccine. We have not experienced that among the patients and our employees at Hawaii Pacific Health. Um, what we commonly see is um, no reaction at all in that first 15 minutes. That's the most common. But, but if someone feels ill, it's often because they're anxious um, or they tend to faint when they get shots anyway. And so they faint with this shot too. So we've had a few people like that. As a pediatrician, we know that there are kids in our practice that faint and we lie them down when we give them a shot. We just know that to be true for some kids. So it's not any different for this, uh, that, that, this vaccine. Getting a shot for some people is just kind of an anxiety provoking experience. We've not had any serious allergic reactions um, and nothing even more than mild at Pier 2. You know, we're seeing the headlines just from across the country of different states and health leaders who are just pleading and, and urging officials to get them the vaccine that they just need more. Are you at all worried with the timing and the way that this is getting rolled out that this could take some time? Or are you confident that as more uh, vaccines come online like Johnson & Johnson that we should see a significant ramp up in the amount of doses that are being able to be distributed? Yeah, we, we keep being promised that there'll be a ramp up. Um, and it looked for a while in January like we were heading in that direction. Uh, things have now become very static and every week we're getting about the same amount and the same amount is about half or, or less of what we truly would uh, be able to use. So we would love to see the vaccine supply increase. Obviously, as we get new types of vaccine like Johnson & Johnson that will add an additional supply that will be helpful. The, um, it's going to take a long time to get through all the folks who want vaccine at the rate we're going now. We would love to be able to push it much harder. You know, when we do see the COVID-19 positive positivity rate, the, the wonderful thing is over the last few days, at least, the numbers do seem to be going down dramatically. Um, but one of the things that is concerning is that we do see deaths reported consistently, uh, you know, when they come out with the positivity numbers. What are you seeing in terms of those fatalities? We know that treatments for the vex or for the disease itself have improved as we've learned more about the virus, but who is still most vulnerable for very serious uh, you know, consequences from the illness? Yeah, I, I think, um, first of all, we need to say that the rate of uh, death from COVID in Hawaii is the best in the country and has been for a while. So we have a very low rate of disease and a low rate of death, and that's great. Um, the people at most risk for, for dying from COVID are those who would not be surprising to us. It's the very elderly. Uh, you remember back to the outbreak in Hilo in the veterans home. Um, those folks are elderly, they require care, and they are at most risk. The um, other folks that are at risk may not be as elderly, but have significant other disease. So uh, people who are being treated for cancer, for example. 
um, may have more risk. So it, it's folks who are already ill with something else or who are very elderly and frail and the COVID uh, virus disease is just kind of the last straw for them. You know, we're seeing also on the mainland just the number of cars that are lining up in these stadiums, the long waits that people are going through in order to get that. We haven't seen that here as things seem to be managed pretty efficiently. Obviously, our numbers are not what maybe they are in some other mainland uh, and national cities. Uh, are you at all worried that as things pick up that we could just see this uh, mass influx of people who wanting to get who categorize who fall into a category of their time? How are you going to manage that as things be, uh, as the vaccine becomes more available to say uh, the different groups down the line? Right. One of the things I think we're really grateful for is that people in Hawaii have actually paid attention when we say, you know, it's appointment only and we're serious about that. And Queens and others are all doing the same thing. They're respecting that appointment process. So um, we knew that if we, for example, at the end of the day had, you know, vaccine that we would just kind of let anybody lined up get that we would have long lines. Uh, people would bring their lawn chairs and their coolers and they would sit and wait and hope. Um, and so we've been very, very clear and very consistent in not allowing drop-ins, not um, providing sort of these random doses of vaccine just on the happenstance that somebody might be there. So I think that that's worked out really well. Um, and, and, you know, people in Hawaii are just really respectful of, of the way we try to do things. And it's working out really well for us. Let's talk about kids for a moment. We know that you are a pediatrician. Um, first on the on the COVID-19 virus itself in children, um, you know, we've heard that most children do recover, but can you tell us about any serious cases here in the islands, what you see in kids? And also um, this sort of the second half is the vaccine. When do you expect, or do you expect children to be able to get it at some point in the future? Right, so as far as COVID disease among children, um, we've had at Kapiolani, I think it's maybe 10 kids total, or maybe not even that many um, across the almost a year now that we've been dealing with this um, infection. So the, the number of serious infections in children is, is really low. Mostly if they have something that needs uh, hospital stay, it's because their immune system has overreacted and there's an odd um, immune system disease that kids sometimes get after a COVID infection. Um, so it, it really has not been a big issue. The uh, part of that may be because we've got children not in schools, they're all doing the remote learning still, or, or maybe it's just changing now. And, and that means that kids have not been passing it to each other um, and have remained relatively safe. The, um, as far as the vaccination goes, it looks like it's going to be uh, maybe another six months or so perhaps before we are able to um, vaccinate kids. The studies that are being done by Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca currently are looking at 12 and up. Um, only Pfizer has uh, a, an emergency use approval for 16 to 18. Everybody else is 18 or older. And younger children than 12, I think it's going to be quite some time. What are you seeing in terms of the impact that it's having on the hospitals within Hawaii Pacific Health? We know that there was uh, a surge earlier, uh, ex excuse me, not earlier, but last year around the summertime when we saw those 300 cases a day and, and things have certainly gone down from there. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of just the overall hospital visits? How has it in impacted just the overall service that you folks continue to provide knowing that you have to protect 
other patients who have other ailments that are coming into the hospital as well? And, and how are you managing that at its current rate? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I, you know, we've, it's been um, 11 months since this first became our world. And uh, we have learned a lot and we learned it very quickly actually on how to protect employees, how to protect other patients, how not to spread this disease among folks in the hospital. So the hospitals are safe. Um, for a long time, uh, apart from the COVID increase in patients, we've had people staying away from the hospital. They're very concerned uh, about the safety of their care there. They've deferred elective procedures and so forth. And so that means that for the most part, our hospitals have been quite um, low in volume, lower than normal. Now, in the last month or so, we, we always have a surge over the holidays and into January. And, and for the last month or so, our adult hospitals, Polymomy and uh, Straub, have had more normal levels of patients and almost no COVID patients. So I think today we have uh, three COVID patients in one hospital and four in the other, Polymomy and Straub. I don't remember which is which. So the, the numbers of patients with COVID are really low. Um, and we're beginning to see more of the regular kind of patients that we would normally see. And, and we just want to make sure that everybody knows that they're very safe. If they need hospital care, we know how to take care of them without having them worry about COVID. You know, early on in the pandemic, we did have you on here and we were talking about the first sort of forays into telemedicine. Of course, telemedicine has been around for some time, but a lot of us have just experienced and start to engage with it because of COVID. What are you seeing in terms of that? Are, are more people engaging in that way? And what do you what do you tell people? Because uh, despite those assurances that you just laid out, there are still people who are reluctant to go in person, but definitely need to reestablish those relationships. Right. And so I, I think, thank you for bringing that up, because I think telemedicine has been expanded way beyond what we would have thought our capacity would have been a year ago. Um, it's amazing the kinds of care that can be provided in a virtual visit. Um, you know, as a physician, we always thought you had to be able to listen to the heart and listen to the lungs and actually, you know, touch the belly and so forth. But a lot of care can be provided without that. We still do need to do some in-person visits and those are being done. Um, but I think if any patient has any question about that, they should reach out for a virtual visit first. And then if there is a need to actually see them in person, that will be discussed and described. Heading back to the vaccine and as things become more, as more vaccines become available and we get to the larger population, uh, not maybe the critically ill, maybe not the ones, uh, the 65 or older and just the general population, how will people know when it's their turn? I, I think a lot of people right now are in that category of, I know it's not my time, so I'm just going to wait. I'm not really paying attention to it. But when that time comes around and it is their time, how will they know when it is their time? Will they get an email from a doctor? Should they be checking in? Uh, how will they kind of get that alert? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, there's actually a communication um, work group of the Department of Health trying to think about all of that, because even among the groups that are um, being prioritized next, how do we make sure that they know that they're in that group or not in that group and so forth? And so it's a difficult problem. I think it will take all of us. Um, it'll take the media, of course, you guys, um, the, the Department of Health, but also each of us as healthcare providers, sending messages to our patients, putting new updated information on our websites and all of that sort of thing. Um, to try to get that word out. Um, there are some people that are hyper-connected and absolutely 
um, you know, pay attention to everything and others who, who just, as you say, are kind of not paying attention so much. We did have an experience a couple of weeks ago where it's interesting how quickly something can go viral on social media. And so um, we had for a very brief period of time, some open scheduling slots uh, available and that went out like crazy. And within half an hour, all of the appointments were gone. So there, there is a lot of interest and I think people are quite connected through social media too. Let's talk a little bit about masking. Um, there's some new information, even in today's paper, talking about how double masking could be something that would protect us against the variants. What's the advice you're giving in terms of how many masks to wear and the kind of mask we should wear? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting conversation because we were hoping that as we got more and more people vaccinated, we might actually be able to back off on masking and, and you know go to some sort of new normal where that wasn't as needed. Um, the variants have changed that discussion. And so because the variants, all of them, are um, more effective in establishing a presence in a nose and, and then multiplying virus quickly and spreading more quickly, the need for masking is more important. The, um, first of all, the most important thing is don't let your mask drift down off your face, down below your nose. So if you're going to wear a mask, wear it properly. That's number one. The idea of a double mask is that if you use a um, surgical or procedure mask, the kind of mask that we can now find at all of the drug stores and, and grocery stores and you know Costco and Sam's Club, they're, everybody's selling them now. Um, that mask goes on the inside and then a cloth mask on the outside. And the combination of those two, if they fit well, um, actually will get you pretty close to the uh, filtering capability of an N95. So that combination of two masks is actually um, really helpful to reduce that chance of spread. But at the same time, it's wear the mask properly, keep your social distancing, wash your hands, stay out of large groups. So it's not just the double mask, it's all of the other pieces as well. You know, there was an interesting report a few days ago about the overall spread of just the influenza and flu amongst the community and the dramatic drop that we're seeing throughout the country uh, attributing a lot of it to the dynamics that people are taking now with social interaction, with mask wearing. Is this something that could you could see being effective for a, a longer period of time, knowing that this is sort of changing the way in which people interact with one another and, and moving forward, uh, how this COVID-19 will impact other viruses like the flu? Right. It, it, all respiratory viruses, actually, we're seeing a you know great reduction in respiratory illness in children as well, not only uh, influenza. So yeah, it's very clear. They all pass kind of similarly, and the same um, tactics that we're using for reduce, reducing the spread of COVID work for all of those respiratory viruses. So maybe we'll all learn um, that during flu season, a mask is not a bad idea. Keeping your distance is a good idea. Washing your hands is a good idea, that kind of thing. Going back to your work as a pediatrician, I know a lot of parents are now trying to decide whether to send their kids back in person or not. How are you advising people to make that decision? Well, I mean, it, it's a tough decision. We understand that people want to stay safe. Um, I think that currently the science is looking like children in schools, particularly younger children in schools, are really not very high risk for COVID spread. Um, and, you know, if we can get the teachers vaccinated, that would that would improve it even more because we don't want the teachers to be at risk either. The the loss of that in-person school experience is is real. Um, that's a problem. And we're going to um, 
we're going to suffer the consequences of that loss of instructional uh, function, I think. And so as a pediatrician, I encourage people to try to get their kids back in school if there's a safe way to do that. Going back to the vaccine, as we begin to see more options available and, and more of these get approved, will those who are getting the vaccine have a choice to decide which ones they're getting? Obviously the Johnson & Johnson only requires one shot as opposed to the ones that are available now. How much flexibility and how much say will people have in terms of what vaccine they would like if there is a preference? That's a great question. Uh, for um, a mass vaccination site like Pier 2 that we're running, it will be really difficult to offer a choice. We've already had a few people. Um, we, we had two days where we were using Moderna vaccine instead of Pfizer because we had supply and, and that's the way we did it. And on those two days, we had a handful, not a lot, but a handful of people who said, hey, I thought I was coming for Pfizer. I don't want Moderna. What can I do differently? Can't you give me Pfizer? And, and it becomes a real difficult problem. So we actually have made the decision to try to be um, using a single vaccine on a single day and not trying to switch. There's safety issues um, in terms of making sure that you draw them up correctly and give the right one to the right person and all the rest of that. So it, it's going to be very difficult for a large site to manage multiple different vaccines. Whether you'll have a choice if they are all stocked at you know, your local pharmacy, perhaps. Okay, our time is wrapping up, uh, but before we go, we just want to give you an opportunity. You know, what's your message to the public as we wait? Everyone, you know, is always checking that website, especially those of us who have parents who might be older checking, is it their turn? Is it their turn? What, what's your advice to people right now as we wait? Yeah, it's so hard to wait. I understand that. We are, we are committed to uh, making appointments available as soon as we can be assured that we have vaccine to deliver a dose to those that have the appointment. We've committed to that. Um, right now, we're struggling to make sure we have enough vaccine for all of the second dose appointments we have. We're gonna be very close um, and we're hoping to get just a little bit more so we can complete those without having to postpone any appointments. But we are postponing uh, some first appointments and we will not be making any new first appointments for anybody that's interested right now. And it'll probably be a couple more weeks at least before we have any available. Okay, before we let you go, I, I just wanted to ask on, on a personal note, you know, you mentioned you've been doing this for 11 months now and, and obviously those in this healthcare profession, there's been a lot that's being asked of you. Uh, when you think back to the beginning and just learning how this uh, virus has impacted the community to where we are now with the vaccine rollout and, and the care that you folks have to provide. Uh, how are you just holding up? I mean, it, it's got to be very stressful with all the demands. You're doing things like this, speaking to us at the media. Uh, and, and this could be going on for some time. I just wanted to get your thoughts on not only you, but your colleagues. How, how are you guys holding up during a, a season where there's really, it's difficult to see an end in sight where there's just so much work to be done? Right, and, and thank you for asking. I think, um, first of all, fortunately, Hawaii has been much less affected than other places. When you know, vaccine rollout started in uh, December and January, and we were hearing about hospitals on the mainland being asked to step up to do vaccinations, as well as being completely overwhelmed by caring for COVID patients, we just thought, oh my gosh, aren't we lucky we're here? Um, 
we have a great team of people at Hawaii Pacific Health. So although I'm the one that gets to come on to these sorts of calls and do this sort of thing, um, there are an awful lot of people who are all shouldering the burden as well. So it's been a team effort from the beginning. It continues to be. And the other thing is, you know, it's really interesting. We've got a lot of us um, at HPH working at Pier 2 and a whole bunch of people that are coming down to volunteer. And that is a great environment to be in. People are so grateful for the uh, the setup and for being able to receive their vaccine that over and over and over again, we get a lot of gratitude expressed and it really helps to reinforce the value of what we're doing. So, uh, I, you know, we're, we're holding up just fine. Um, we're waiting for the next curveball to come. Something will come, I'm sure. But um, at this point, everything is going well. We're very grateful for the people of Hawaii and how well they've responded to this from the beginning. And, and that's made all the difference. Okay, well, Dr. Melinda Ashton, thank you so much for joining us today from Hawaii Pacific Health. We appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. So much. Wow, a lot of information there. Very interesting to hear her talk, both as uh, you know, an executive at the hospital and also as a pediatrician. Um, you know, one thing that that did stick stick out to me is she said that they're not making any new appointments right now at Pier Two for any first vaccines because they really want to make sure that they get through the second doses, and so those are the delays that we're seeing as we really eagerly await uh, the doses. And there are calls, of course, for 65 year olds to now 65 and up to be able to receive the vaccine, but it doesn't sound like that's likely just because they simply don't have the doses. Yeah, and it's got to be frustrating for them knowing that they it's something that they can do. It's something they prepared for, but they just don't have it in their hand. Uh, you know, we heard earlier this month how optimistic the lieutenant governor was about the ramp up in numbers and how he sort of said that, you know, in a few weeks, we're going to see this large increase. And we're seeing now that that delay and uh, the fact that Johnson Johnson is still waiting for that approval, that has just sort of delayed this overall process and getting the availability of the vaccine out there. but. Yeah, as she mentioned, and, and as I've heard from people, and I'm not sure if you heard too, a lot of people having very positive experiences when they're down there saying things move very efficiently and that it was a seamless process. And we hope to see that continue as more and more vaccines uh, become available. Absolutely. I mean, it's very reassuring to know that the infrastructure is in place so that once we do get the doses, she said that on, on their level, they could do more than double the doses that they're giving out right now. So that is reassuring. Um, she also talked about masking and suggesting that if you do want to double mask, it's a good idea to get one of those uh, paper filter masks that you see sold basically everywhere right now, and then a cloth mask over that. And that will protect against the new variants uh, more effectively than just wearing a single layer mask. The other thing that she said was, um, that they do see that there is some protection, at least initially, from the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines against these variants. Uh, so that is reassuring as well. But you can't necessarily fully change behavior. We still have to mask and socially distance even once you get the shot. Yeah, and like anything else during this time, uh, you know, there there is that level of uncertainty as they're learning everything as we move along through this. And uh, the signs point that everything is looking good with this vaccine, and we continue to hope that uh, as more in the community get that, that it will be reflected in the number of cases we're seeing. Again, we're already seeing those numbers go down. Hopefully they will continue to stay down. She's also said how they're seeing uh, more return to normalcy in terms of the hospital and what they're seeing with people coming in with just the types of uh, ailments that people come into the hospital and get received treatment for. That was a little, that declined earlier on in the pandemic, of course, as people tried to stay away from the hospital. So reassuring and encouraging to hear that people are feeling more comfortable getting uh, adequate care as needed. 
Right. And as a pediatrician, she did say that, um, you know, there are a lot of downsides to keeping kids out of school. There's a, a lot of people now pushing uh, to allow youth sports to resume, even uh, even ahead of full school. And we're going to be talking about that on Friday. We're going to be focusing in on that topic, as you said, and that's going to be uh, something that I know a lot of people are passionate about. A lot of parents out there want their children to be able to get back to those physical activities. So we're going to be speaking to two individuals who are leading uh, the charge in this effort here on the on the island of Oahu. We're going to be talking to Council Member Andrew Tupola, as well as Chad Owens, a former professional football player who have taken this uh, initiative and, and really trying to allow safe sports to resume here in uh, and, uh, in the city and county of Honolulu. So we've been talking to them about their efforts and what they're hearing from the mayor if something like that will be allowed sooner rather than later. Yeah, and then next week we have Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us on Monday. Senator Brian Schatz will join us on Wednesday. Very interesting to hear from him in terms of what federal support will be available. Also interested to get his thoughts on the impeachment hearings. Uh, those are actually happening right now, and so we'll hopefully have some time to reflect on those. Uh, and then on Friday, an always popular guest, we're going to have Ann Pereira Estaclio. We know so many of you are struggling with these unemployment uh, claims and the delays in the PEUC distribution, so be sure to join us next Friday uh, to talk with her and to hopefully get some answers about when those payouts are coming. Now, looking forward to another great week of conversation. We thank all of you. We thank Dr. Ashton, as well as all of our medical professionals who continue to work hard uh, to keep our community safe and healthy. Uh, so thank you to them. And thank you for all tuning in. We'll see you right back here on Friday at 1030. Aloha. Aloha.